You are listening to the sermons of the late Pastor Frank Hampton Jr., who pastored the Church of God in Jackson, Michigan from 1963 to 2018. If you would like to learn more about Pastor Hampton or the Church of God, please visit our website at www.churchofgodjackson.com. Again, that's www.churchofgodjackson.com. We hope you enjoy the message. God bless. Romans chapter 7, beginning with verse 11. For sin, taken occasion by the commandments, deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. We would like to talk to you today about the sinfulness of sin. It's not a popular subject anymore. In most instances, if sin is preached about or against, is preached in such generalities that no one is stirred by it. Sin in every department of our lives is so commonplace and accepted that no one is stirred or moved by its presence. But today, we would like to place a proper emphasis on sin and its sinfulness. You might wonder why Paul did not use another adjective to express or define the character of sin, but there is no other word that can make sin any worse than it is. So he said the sinfulness of sin. We might attempt to use something to perhaps give a different shade, but there is nothing that you can say about sin. There is no other word you can add to it to make it any worse than it is. The reason that there is not more preaching against sin today is because the preachers and the populace of the people do not see it in its true color. You praying with me? Now, you will deal with a thing or an issue in the proportion as you see it. Amen. And iniquity is so popular and so abounding today that sin is accepted in most circles. And sadly enough, it is regarded even by the populace of our religious orders to regard sin as a necessary part of a person's life. But in verse 13, the apostle says, 
was then that which is good made death unto me, God forbid, but sin that it might appear sin. Man cannot have a true notion of sin, but by means of the true law of God. People will never see sin in its true light unless the preachers of the gospel lay it out just like it is. Come on. Now, I had thought to preface what I say with an apology, but I think I'm going to forego that. Because we need not apologize for preaching against sin. So I offer no apology. Not only that, we want to define it in its minutest detail. So you pray with us. Paul said sin, that it might appear sin. That it might look like sin. That it might not be disguised. That it might lose its camouflage. Now I've got to put down the full commandments of God. I've got to bring it to focus. I must make it surface. Amen. So everybody might see it as it is. You get this now. You are not likely to restrain yourself. Amen. If it does not come to you as it is. People are not likely to refrain from something. Amen. If they don't see it in its true light. And Paul said that I could not have possibly seen it in its true light unless the commandments had exposed it. And false prophets have so camouflaged it today. Churches have so inculcated it into their programs that the poor people will never see it unless somebody opens it up to them. So Paul said that sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me. Listen, he said that this thing is working death. And the devil has so buried it, has so obscured it from the eyes of the people that something as deadly as this is not even seen. So he said, now, we have got to make it appear. False prophets admit that they sin, and you sin, and they say everybody sins. So if it's as general and as universal as that, then why worry about it? But they are failing to make sin appear sin in its true light. So Paul said, I want you to see sin in its utter sinfulness. We've got to make it appear so. That's, they want, let me tell you something. Sin has been minimized everywhere. Even in so-called churches of God. Amen. Things that should be refrained from and amen, we should flee from. They're saying it's all right to do it in certain proportions. Just don't go to an extreme. But brother, sin is not justified in anyone in any proportion. Amen. There's nothing nice about it. So we, by the living grace of God, must make it appear sin. 
That's why our churches today are so infested with it. Why? Because they are not making it appear sin. Amen. Now, our attitude towards sin must be the same as God's attitude. We love the sinner, but we hate sin. God has never had a positive attitude towards sin. Never. There has never been an instance as merciful as Jesus was that has never been an occasion where he was in agreement with sin to any degree at all. Not one sin. Now you get this. That's why Paul said in Galatians, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, consider yourself. Will you pray with me? He said, now listen. He said, now we don't want to crucify him, but consider yourself. He said, now make sure that they see it like it is. He said, now if you sin, rebuke him. If you repent, forgive him. But now in your attempt to be merciful and good and nice and long-suffering, amen, so get in no spirit. Don't minimize, amen, the effect of it. Don't minimize the depredation of it. Don't paint it in its true color. So our attitude toward it must be exactly as God's attitude. Brother, I cannot look upon sin in those who are nearest and dearest to me with any more favor than I do a total rank stranger. Sin should look the same in everybody. Amen. So in any attempt to shade sin because you might have a favorable attitude toward an individual is sad, ridiculous, and lethal. In some instances, if you're a big tither, you can get away with anything in these false backslidden apostate churches. If you are in a certain position where you might seem almost indispensable to work, you can participate and do everything you want to do. Commit sin as frequently as you will. Amen! But brother, we must see sin as it is. We judge his sin and we deal with the sinner. Amen. And if we ever get below that, then we're headed for apostasy. That's why most of the church groups are in apostasy today. What? They justify sin in certain individuals according to their status. Amen. Praise the living God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. Let's move on now. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. Listen. He that despised Moses' law, amen, he that, amen, went contrary to the law of Moses, even in that dispensation the word of God says, God manifests his attitude toward, amen, breaking his commandments, breaking his laws against deliberate sin, right here. He that despised Moses' law, what? Died how? Without mercy. God says so that you will not think sin is a minor thing. So that you will not think sin is an everyday thing. So that you will not take sin as something when you get under pressure. I just do it and say, God forgive me. I want to show you my attitude towards sin. 
because you see people all around you sinning and seemingly getting by. Amen. Because people, praise our God, are taking it as a small matter. I want you to show you my attitude towards sin, God says. I want to show you how I see it. I want to show you how I deal with sin. Read. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Will you hear? My God, God looks upon sin, amen, to the extent that those who were guilty died without mercy. Brother, to offend God is a serious matter. Some people feel that because God does not execute swift retribution, because he does not cut you off like this, because he doesn't just slip you out and send you to hell, that he has a favorable attitude to a sin. But not so. Let's not mistake the long suffering of God for a softness towards sin. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. What? Of how much sorrow or worse punishment shall he be thought worthy who has trodden underfoot the Son of God and counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified? An unholy thing. How much sorrow punishment. Those of us, since the death of Christ, who deliberately commits a transgression under Moses' law, they died without mercy. Amen. Let me tell you something, children. If you had your eyes open this morning, you would not toy with those things that might put you in a position of sin. You would not get close to those things that affect your spirit and make you more, amen, vulnerable to the devil. But brother, people play with sin, do things that get them out of the spirit, do things that grieve the Holy Ghost because they don't see the sinfulness of sin. That's why. Would you pray my fist this morning? Pray God's help this morning, if you will. Amen. The word of God said they died without mercy. Under two or three witnesses. And how much worse punishment, how much worse punishment should he be thought worthy who have trodden underfoot the Son of God? And have counted the blood of the covenant, the blood of Jesus. By the God, do you know what Jesus went through to deliver us from sin? Do you know all of the suffering, the agony, and shame that Jesus suffered on the cross was because of sin? It was not just a necessary part of his existence. Amen. He went through that because of sin. We deserved it. He did nothing to deserve it. We deserved it. And guess what, children? If we sin now with that knowledge, it's infinitely worse. Why? Do you know with the knowledge and light that you have, for you to deliberately sin, you are crucifying Christ all over again. You are actually breaking his skin thrusting the spear in his side and seeing his blood run down like water you are mercilessly doing that in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 4 please for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance seeing they recognize it. 
They are fully aware of what they're doing. Seeing that they what? Crucified to themselves. The Son of God are fresh all over again. Brother, you hanging Jesus up on the cross all over. Every time you commit a sin, you are hanging Christ up on the cross. You are nailing the nails in his head all over. You might make people think it's a joke. People saying it jump back and say, God forgive me. But brother, it's more serious than that. Brother, you should be willing to seal your testimony with your blood. You should be willing to shed your blood rather than go against Jesus. Why? Because by his blood, you're saved. The blood that he shed, you're responsible for it. You are responsible for it. If you've never sinned, you've been responsible. But now that you've sinned, and even with this light, you're infinitely more responsible. You're doing it all over again. When the devil back you in a corner, cause your passion to rage, cause your temper to fly. Amen. Before you submit, before you yield, take a long last thought as to what you're doing. You're hanging Christ upon the cross again. You're nailing those rusty spikes in his hand all over again. Amen. You're standing with that ribald crowd who sneered and jeered. Amen. Who counted nothing as sacred. That's what you're doing. It's a serious matter. We need to see the sinfulness of sin this morning. Praise our God. Because God is merciful. Amen. Forgive you and maybe otherwise you're going shouting again. You're taking it as a light thing, brother. But it's not nearly as light as some would have it be. Sin is a terrible thing. There's nothing worse than sin. It's more than we can express this morning. God help us. He that despised. Now you follow me. We want to get down into something here. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. What was that law? What was Moses' law? All right, let's turn back to it in Exodus chapter 20. You pray with me. God did me about to say they want a week or two ago. Pray with me on this. We want to see what it was that was of such a nature that caused people to die such a horrible death. What is it about sin? Amen. You see, the one when we say sin, the word is used so glibly today that we just think of it as another word. But brother, we're going to analyze this thing this morning if you pray for us. All right. He that despised Moses' law. All right. What was the law of Moses? Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. We're not going to deal with every one of them, but some of them. Thou shalt have no other gods before. What? Before me. Now we want to analyze and dissect this. Come on. And to go contrary is to sin. You pray with me this morning. Brother, if the Holy Ghost helps us this morning, we want to show you the sin for this sin this morning. All right? To go contrary to this law, what are you doing? You are an idolater. To have another God before God is an idolater. Listen. Now, your God is that to which 
you give your chief affection. That's all. See, you don't have to erect a little statue, a little Mary or Saint uh, Alatheus or somebody. Brother, anything that you hold up as your chief delight other than God is an idol. Brother, we have churches full of idolatry today. But, see, the reason why some people it's so difficult to get them off of something, they don't realize what they're doing. They don't see the sinfulness of it, brother. Listen, if there is anything that I guess a thrill from that rivals my affection to God, it's an idol. Whether you admit it or not. And the fact that you're getting that is because it's so difficult to turn loose from things. We refuse to turn it loose because we're getting so much from it. Brother, practically every home in America has an idol right in their living room. People are idolizing the TV. They're getting that cheap joy, that cheap delight. There is nothing on earth that they put above it. Theoretically, they put God there, brother. But where do you give your time and devotion? Don't psych yourself. Don't fool yourself, Julie. You may well be realistic with this thing. Because that's the way it is. Brother, this athletic world, this sports world, people are idolizing this thing. You hear me? Brother, all over the world, they are constantly creating new bowls. Bronze bowl, the super bowl, the cotton bowl, sugar bowl, the pineapple bowl, everything else. What? They're going wild. They got all kind of freakish men out there trying to play ball. Guys can hardly, uh, I guess, walk straight. What? Trying to attract the teeth. This thing is running people mad. People are idolizing this thing. You hear me? They are putting it before God. I don't care what you say, brother. Your action proves it. That's have no other God before me. They get a greater thrill out of that thing than they do listening to a good message. You pray my fifth this morning. You need to see the sinfulness of that thing. Why? Now here. Why is it so sinful? God has done everything for us. God has preserved our lives. God awakened our conscience. God forgave our sins. And you have the audacity to get your thrill and happiness out of something else. You have the protocol to pay homage to something other than God. Brother, there should be nothing in our lives that even runs a close second to God. There should be no thrill that we get any intrigue that is akin to the glory of God. And to do it, you get this, dear one, there should be no woman in the world, no man in the world that rivals your affection for your wife at all. There should be no contest. There should be no affection that you can put in the same category. There should be no comparison. If my wife had to sit up and wonder who she loved most of me or somebody else, brother, pretty soon she'd have an eye to choice for. Well, guess what? The Holy Ghost does the same thing. You got to sit up and try to wonder who you love most, or, or struggling all night long, who I'm going to serve, or who I'm going to give my allegiance to. God makes the choice for you. God, you don't have to worry anymore because I'm going to take my grace away from you. I'm going to let you do it to death. Now you think, praise our God, God going to sit around for a lifetime for you to decide who you love most. God going to sit around for eternity waiting for you to prove your allegiance to him. No, he won't. 
No, he won't, brother. See, wait a minute. Now you see, I think that you make up your mind. So our relationship is severed. There's no question mark about it. You might not think so. See, you fool with it because you don't see it in its right light. You don't take time to let God expose this thing to you. Brother, this idolatry thing, we need to analyze it. The reason why many people don't know that they are idolaters is because they won't analyze it. They, will, they, they are afraid to tear it apart and look down into it. I have no other God before me. Let me read just one or two more here. Lord, help us here. Let's read verse, verse 7. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Now, let me show you, see. They want you hear people doing it almost as commonly and as frequently as they talk. And you pass by like it's nothing. But do you know, listen, as sacred, as holy, as lofty, as magnanimous as God is, for you to use his name irreverent is a sin of the first magnitude. Dear one, let me tell you. A lot of people sitting right up in church are using God's name in vain and the Bible says I will not hold him guiltless. You're guilty? All right. What? My God. Oh God. Good God. A man of this statue, this magnitude, he demands my utmost. And you would be trying to impress him as such. You wouldn't like to say that nodding. Would somebody pray with me? Would somebody pray my friend, brother? That's why there are so many people lean and done in their soul. Why? They think God will accept anything. Set up in service, praise our God, and nod, and they spend half their time on their knees praying, nodding. Amen. They read the word of God, and when they get through reading the verse, they don't know what they read. Their prayers are totally ineffective. Their mind is not even with what they're saying. And you're seeing the results of it. By dead, cold lies. By God withdrawing his spirit. You are seeing the result of all of this irreverentiality. No reverence. Amen. Don't use his name vainly. When you use God's name, make sure it's associated with which is holy. With a full awareness of what you're doing. My God. That God is just another individual comic strip character. My God, help us. When you do that, it's just another way of using one of your old worldly slings and trying to attach something religious to it. And it's never to be done that way. Brother, when you use God's name, it should be with the utmost meditation and reverence. And to do anything less is to use it vainly. And you'll not be held guiltless. I don't care who you are. If you've done it inadvertently, without recognizing what you were doing, you better wake up this morning. You better sense what you're doing. And you see people doing it, praise our God around the church, and you think it's nothing, it is something. Amen. You need to see the sinfulness of it. See, the reason why people are doing that, they think it's nothing. They think that you, it's cute to use God's name, Jesus Christ. Oh, they think it's something cute. Come on! They don't see the depth of it, brother. They don't see the offensiveness of it. That's why they do it. 
Amen. Because it's so commonplace. The sinfulness of sin. I have a clipping here. I want to show you something, children. Right here. The caption here says, She was first woman in the United States to wear pants by an act of Congress. That was a time that this nation so saw the sinfulness of sin. Their moral standards were so high. They saw the abomination of the mess that churches are accepting today. Even Congress. Even the laws. It was a lady doctor who insisted to wear them and the police would lock her up every time she wore them. It was unlawful. It, they saw the abomination of it. They saw the sinfulness of sin. Even our laws of our land saw it. So they went walking out stuffed in these pants and they give you time. Some of you deserve time where you look. Amen! And brother, let me tell you, she was so persistent that they had to enact an act in Congress so that the police would leave her alone. She was the first one. She started this women live stuff. Right here. A lady doctor. And if you all want a copy of it, we'll run you off one, perhaps over the machine over there. Quite. They saw the sinfulness of sin, brother. They saw the abomination of this stuff. And how in the world is it that false blind preachers can't see today? Here people profess no grace of God, but even common decency gave them the seat for a woman to dress like a man was an abomination before God. And they said, we will not allow our country to be corrupted by such practices. Now you've got false prophets who are afraid to cry out against them. Come to service, come to choir rehearsal, any kind of affair, in their pantsuits on, pianist weather, anybody weather. And they accept it. It's accepted. It's an abomination before Almighty God. And you have nobody to blow the trumpet to make sin appear sin, so they don't see the sin. Amen! It's an abomination before Almighty God. In the beginning, God created a male and female. He made everything about them distinctly different. He did that because He wanted a definite line of demarcation drawn between them. And any violation of that basic principle is an abomination before Almighty God. But if you don't see it, you'll persist to do it. That's why we're trying to dissect this thing this morning so you can see it. That would bring about all this homosexuality, what? All this mixture, hair cutting and pants wearing and all this kind of thing. All this crossing of sex and unit of sex. It's abomination before God, brother. I don't care how commonplace it is, it's a degradation before God. I don't care who accepts it, it's abomination before God. And if we're blinded this morning, we might be blind for eternity. Amen. Preachers can't preach against it because their wives are wearing them, their children are wearing them, and everybody else. Amen. So you pray my strength. We want to tear these things down, brother. Those that despise Moses' law died without mercy. And people walk around with their hands in their best breath, sitting when they get ready to. Amen. But you get this, children. Just because the grace of God disallows something, but it makes it worse. On the grace, the punishment is worse, children. It's not physical death, but it's spiritual death, which is infinitely worse. So don't think you're getting by by enemy. When God withdraws the spirit, it's far worse than him withdrawing the breath of life. 
repentant sinner might be capitally punished and go to heaven. But if God would draw his face, you're lost, you're doomed for eternity. Are you praying with me? Well, hang with me a little longer. All right, we want to see the one actually what it was and why God looked upon it as he did. Why does God look upon sin as he does? Let me read another verse. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. For a child to dishonor their parents is a sin of the first magnitude. Brother, you pray with me this morning. See, they do it without second thought because it is so commonplace. Brother, it is as common as a nose on your face to hear a child frown up and speak back to their parents, especially after they get 16 or 17 18 years old. You never outgrow your respect for your parents. And not to do it is a sin of the first magnitude. To disrespect a parent to any extent. They call you, I know where you come, I heard you. You get on my nerves. Talking to daddy, mommy. Under the old distance, they'll drag you out and drop stones on you. Why? So that you see the sinfulness of it. But now everybody does it, so it seems like nothing to you. Brothers, they are saying that a child who dishonored his parents don't deserve to live. A parent who have gone through the pains of death and hung between life and death to bring you to the world. When the food got low, they went hungry to see you full. When you were crying, praise God, they couldn't go to sleep until they discovered the reason why. If there came a time when someone had to be deprived in a home, they would be the one instead of you? Come on! And in some instances, they had to raise you without a father, without a mother. Did the best they could with you. We walked the floor at night, prayed our God, trying to comfort and console you, and now you're going to get up and put your hand on your hip and talk back? Let's see it, brother. You don't deserve to live. But see, you don't see it. You think it's cute because everybody else does it. And if they say anything to you, you're going downtown and tell the police. So they can come out and arrest them for trying to correct you. You deserve even the worst punishment for that. Brother, those that despise Moses' law died without mercy. If you disrespected your parents, you died without mercy. Quiet. That you might see the sinfulness of sin. That you might recognize it's not cute. I'm grown too. Amen! Brother, sin is sinful. Sin is terrible. But when you're blind, you can't see it. But you better pray that God would apply some eye salve and open your eyes this morning. Verse 13. Thou shalt not kill the sinfulness of sin. You get this, children. Can you sense the depth of murder? Brother, we each are given one life. You go through this world one time. And for an individual to ruthlessly take your life away and leave your parents, your children, hard bleeding 
and snuff out your life forever? Can you see that? Because we read the papers and find out where Detroit average pressure murderer day. Don't you minimize that thing? Brother, to take a person's life is indescribably low. Even to punish them capitally afterward does not make up for it. Brother, there is no restoration. When your life is gone, there is no restoration here. You're through. Your life is going out forever. The only chance you have to enjoy life has been eradicated. And for someone to take that within that power to cause your life to terminate. To do it thoughtlessly. Almost make a game out of it. Just wildly and aimlessly find your crowd of people. Push themselves in the loft of some building and take a rifle with a scope and just pick off people indiscriminately. When God said, Thou shalt not kill. To abort a helpless baby. Take a chemical and kill him before he sees the light of life. And in some instances, when they come forth, they whimper one time. And if they didn't die, they smothered him to death. Throw him in the incinerator. Come on! Thou should not kill. You minimize it. Come on, voting for a right to life. It shouldn't be no vote. That is so obviously wrong that it shouldn't even be no discussion about it. That's why the word of God says if you hate your brother without a call, you commit a mirror. That's why we don't have no attitude toward one another. You're going around and going to hate somebody. You're going around and going to hold something against somebody. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I repay. You keep your spirit right. You understand it? You leave with God. You have no right to get even with nobody. You have no right to go around hating somebody. You're a murderer. And it's serious. God help us. Thou should not kill. Amen. Because somebody offended you, go around with a gun in your car. God help us. This is serious, brother. Amen. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not commit adultery. You know, children, God made us male and female. And God joined the first couple together. And the most sacred thing that we have is our bodies. And there are some things that God made so sacred to cross them is as bad as murder itself. There are some domains, amen, that to uncover or to enter into is the sacred of sacredness. For a person to reserve themselves one for the other and commit to another themselves. Amen. Which nobody else have ever invaded. All that you have is yourself. And you yield yourself to me or whomever. And for somebody to invade that after one have committed themselves for a lifetime 
and when they yield to me the ultimate themselves and then you invade that and you go the ultimate you go as far as I can possibly go you do that which I can do no more and she's mine you have even invaded that sacredness you have taken liberties which God said only one man should have you have gone to the ultimate with my wife you have done as much to my wife as I can possibly do you have invaded the holy of holiness of my domain then my wife has nothing that you've not enjoyed that I can enjoy that nothing else you have to give me that you've not had There is nothing you don't know about us. That I don't know that you know about us. There's no further that I can go than you go. There's nothing in reserve that she has that you don't know about, that only I can know about. And I'm going to take that lightly. You do it because you don't see it. If God don't awaken you, brother, you need to see this thing. That's why the word of God is a man that do that should not live. Went to a wedding yesterday. I participated. They said that. Where's my little book here? I'm going to start preaching this at weddings. But listen to what it says. Do you whom you now hold by the hand as your true lawful wife and God helping you will you love, cherish, honor and protect her cleaving only and ever to her until God by death not by getting mad not by burnt bread not by spending too much money shall separate you but until God by death shall do it. Cleave only to her. And thank God you got before a crowded audience. And you bowed with everything within you. That I'll do it, Lord. I'll never touch another woman but this one. In any kind of affectionate way. Lord, I'll never touch another man but the one to whom hand I now hold. In any kind of affectionate way. I promise before you and this company of witnesses and then violate that for whatever reason don't tell me nothing about no pressure I'm going to give you a scripture turn to Genesis give me chapter 39 I believe I want and give me about verse 7 quickly I'm going to show you God help us this morning 39-7 please came to pass after these things his master's wife, we're talking about Joseph now. His master's wife cast her eyes upon him. She said, lie with me. Now you get this now. We know they were very selective. And people in that position made their choice. They could pick out the most beautiful and most proportionate one they could find. And I'm sure that he probably did just that. And left Joseph there. 
because he respected, honored, and trusted him. Read. And she said, lie with me. She said, lie with me. But he refused. She, she tempted me. She seduced me. She did too. But he refused. Pray my sin, somebody, please. I want to show you about this thing. I'm going to dig down into it. Do what you will, praise God. Joseph fought out, I fought out, so you ought to fall out. I'm going to preach. Come on. Read. He refused. Come on. And said unto his master's wife. Behold. Behold. Will y'all pray to me a little while? The master don't even know what he has here. He left it in my charge. He trusts me that much. Read. He committed all that he has in my hand. Come on. There is none greater in this house than I. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither Come on. Listen. He so respected, trusted, and regarded me that anything that I had, he exposed it to my keeping. And he only kept you back. Why? Get this. Come on, son. Neither have he kept back anything, Neither have he kept back anything but thee. Will somebody pray with me? How would you get this thing? He only kept you back because you his wife. And this is the most sacred thing on earth. He so admired me, probably would have shared you. But he can't do that. That's too much. God has to ordain that there be no cross or no sharing in that area. And in respect to what he thought of me, he couldn't share you with me. But everything else but his wife. Because you're his wife. And God forbid that I touch you. Because God looks upon it with such intensity. Read on. I'm going to show you something here. I'm going to show you how Joseph saw this thing. Read. Listen. Joseph saw the sinfulness of sin. He said, my God, this is a great wickedness. I can't do this. God is not too much for me. The people respects and trusts and honors me. The saints believe in me. I'm a part of the church of God. Amen. People trust me. I can't do that. Amen. That's not a light thing. That's a great wickedness. I see the sinfulness of it. It's no superficial thing. I can say I was under pressure and doing it all over. Be all right. How can I do it? You ought to have enough Holy Ghost in you. Could the devil come against you in any area? And you are clear that you're crossing God. Lord, how can I do that? Lord, I can't even wear no pants. I don't care if my job does require. It's an abomination. Lord, I can't be mean to my wife. You gave her to me. I'm full of love and cherish. I can't fuss that up. Lord, I can't disobey my husband. Even though he don't treat me just right. He don't give me my just desserts. Because you say I'll obey him. I can't rise up and tell him what to do. That's a wickedness, Lord, to disobey my husband and, and make me wicked. 
I'm tired of being an underdog. You better be whatever kind of dog you have to be and obey God. It's the wickedness. A dozen is not the only wickedness. How can I do it? With the light I got around here in the church of God. With all this light that we have. All of the services that we have. All that prayer mean. How in the world can I do that? Lord, how can I fare passionately at other women's? And my sweet little wife has suddenly born me one baby after another. And now maybe she'll look quite as good as she used to. Someone looking at me something fresh. How can I do it? How can I do it? How in the world can I do it? How can I do it? It's a great wickedness. you got to see sin for what it is, for what it's worth. If you don't see the sinfulness of sin, you'll think nothing of it. You'll think it's all right to undress them as they walk the street. But thank God we won't make it appear just like it is. And if you don't see it, you're doomed. If you don't see it, you're going to involve yourself. If you saw it like you ought to, you'd stay a thousand miles away from it. Amen. Joseph, I'd rather lose my coat than lose my conscience. Amen. How can I do this great wickedness? Joseph, I see the sinfulness of the thing. See, brother, when you see a thing like you ought to, brother, you can't run into it. But the reason why some of you don't see it, you don't take time. You're too busy involved in other other things. You ought to be letting God teach you something. Thank God got time to play around, rip around. You ought to be letting God teach you how sinful the world is. If you don't see it, you're going to regard it as nothing. And you, you leave me alone when we deal with this. Don't, don't mess with me. When we deal with it like God would have us, so don't touch me. Don't touch us. There are no innocent parties when sin is involved. There are no innocent sinners. And the word of God, whoever despised Moses, Lord, died without mercy. Kill the word. You pray with me. We're not going to minimize sin. This is not going to be no sin playground around here. Thank God if you sin, you better reproach of it. You better consequences of it. That's why churches are going into apostasy today. Praise our God. Sin is commonplace. People do what they want to do and keep right on going. Amen. Thank God that Joseph said, no, I, I can't do it. I'm sorry. I cannot. Now, if I have to get my head chopped off for false accusation. He could have said, well, she kept on pressing me. I didn't want to do it, but she kept on pressing me. And she, even she called old to me. And I'm a young man, and, and I'm, I'm virtuous, and I ain't never had no, and all that. I am. I say all you want to say, you going to hell. Hell, you going. If you don't see sin like it is, you're going to fall into it. And brother, let me tell you something. We want to keep this thing so sin going to be shocking around here. Whenever a sin is committed, we want it to shock us. Sin is like sin? My Lord. Boy, we better walk lightly, thank God. I don't want to be next. God help me. Maybe I better add an extra fast day. Amen. Oh, blessed God. Give me 1 John chapter 5, verse 70. What is it, brother? What are you talking about? How do we know? All right, I'll tell you in simple terms. 1 John chapter 5, verse 17. Read. 5, 17, 1 John. All unrighteousness is sin. Wait just a moment. Just a moment. Now, he did not take a great big catalog and try to itemize every sin in the book. 
he included it when he said all unrighteousness. If it's not righteous sin, if you're not dressing right, it's a sin. If you overdress, it's a sin. If you underdress, it's a sin. If you go to a place that's labeled worldliness, it's a sin. Come on. If you throw a temper tantrum, it's a sin. If you stare passionately at the opposite sex, unless it's yours by law, it's sin. Sin. I mean the kind of sin you hear. And you need to see the sinfulness of it. You need to see the sinfulness of it. And only if we blow the trumpet loud and clear will it appear sin to you. Don't make no sense to think he's cute. Because he's not. He's not. Come on! May God bless us. This is a tremendous thing we deal with here. We fool around here, praise our God, and, and minimize this thing. Amen. And people, praise our God, begin to think it's just a commonplace. They always something everybody doing. Anybody might fall. Anybody might fall. Anybody might go to hell too. All unrighteousness is sin. All this mess they're having in the church under the name of religion, a lot of it is nothing but straight out sin. Because there is no Bible to support it. There is no Bible to support it. All this mess going on in churches and all these old frolics and banqueting is sin. Yes, it is too. But it doesn't appear so because everybody's doing it. That's why you can't stay there and be saved. Why? Because you're going to get contaminated with that same spirit. It's going to blind your eyes. It's going to get you in a position so you won't see it as you ought to see it. Your exposure to it. It can become so common. You know, fornicate, nothing wrong with it. With two consenting adults. Oh, you can fix it. You can be as proper as you want to. It's sin. It's definitely sin. The Bible says, man shouldn't touch a woman in any affectionate way unless he's married to her. And to do it otherwise is sin. Come on! Amen. Not only those who get caught, amen, those who it's manifest with pregnancies, but any. It's the same thing whether you have a baby or not. It's sin. Of the worst magnitude. Why? You have destroyed something you cannot restore. Something that God gave you to reserve to a proper time. And a proper person. And you've debauched it prematurely. It's sin. Something God has given you as a life-producing method. And you're going to take it in as a, a sensual thrill. You're going to make a game out of it. It's sin, brother. A serious sin. Do you hear me? The reason why some people don't stay further away from it is because they don't see it. And preachers don't mess with it. Amen. Give me Romans chapter 1. We'll conclude with this, Lord willing. Verse 18. Read. Listen. All ungodliness, all unrighteousness is sin. All of it. Every bit of it is sin. And I want to show you how God feels about it. John said all unrighteousness is sin. And here's God's attitude toward all unrighteousness. Read. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against 
the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against what? Against unright against unrighteousness against unrighteousness of men who hold who hold the truth in unrighteousness. All unrighteousness is sin, and the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against every iota of it. Every bit of it. Every bit of it. So you get this, children. Those of you tomorrow, I'm not ready to get saved yet. Well, I tell you what. Every time you commit a sin, you are filling up a great big cup of wrath, which will eventually be dashed on you. And when you fill up that cup, you're done. Everybody have a cup. Jesus said, you fill up that cup, the measure of your father. You're filling up that cup. And when you fill up that cup, you're done. And some people's cup is just about up to the brim right now. You better escape while you can. I don't care if you're a church sinner or a street sinner. You're a sinner nonetheless, and the wrath of God abides you. People don't fear the sin because they don't see it as it is. All unrighteousness, if it's not right, it's sin. And it places you in a position so as to incur the wrath of God. You can escape that wrath this morning. You can escape that wrath this morning. Get before God. Acknowledge your sin. And let God know, against me and thee only have I sinned, Lord. I come repenting. Forgive me. I won't do it anymore. God will have mercy upon you. God will hear you cry. God will acknowledge your plea. But if you go on and stiffen your neck, persist in what you're doing, then you'll pay for it. And you'll pay for it for eternity. Shall we stand? You can come to the prayer room, come to the altar, whichever you prefer. Come on, don't wait, don't wait. Let's come now. Let God help you. Don't fill the cup up anymore. Come now. What do we say, sister? What do we say? Come on. The prayer room's open, the altar's open. Without delay, without delay, will you come? Amen. Whoever you are, children, it's no joke. You think because God is just not cutting you off and sending you to hell, you're getting by, but you're not. Thank God you can't get by. Nobody going to escape. Nobody. So you have a choice. You have a chance this morning. Number 406. Don't worry about the book. Worry about your soul. Come on. Heaven is a holy place. Sin can never enter there. All within his gates are pure. From defilement kept secure. No sin will enter heaven. Not one sin. All the workers. Sin can never Sinful spot. All right. One moment, please. One moment, please. Now, whether you label it sin or not, if it's not right, it's sin. Because your church don't advocate teach against it as sin, that does not legalize it by any means. See, some people are naive enough to feel that because my church says it's all right, it's all right. But brother, God doesn't go judge you by your church. He's going to judge you by the word of God. The word and the spirit. The word and the spirit.
would be there. The two witnesses would be there to appear against you. And the Holy Ghost would be the prosecuting attorney. Some people have been striving with their consciences. Have been doing things seemingly in a nice way. There is no nice way to commit sin. There is no respectable way to commit sin. And if you humble yourself and acknowledge it, God will help you this morning. Don't harden your heart. Don't push against the Holy Ghost. Humble yourself and come. All right. And Have the life of Christ within us never entered them. Sin can never. Sin can never. Now, you might find some solace or consolation in the thought that you've not done certain things. Well, I'll tell you what, stay in sin and you will. Not only those things that were mentioned this morning, but you're going to do some worse things. And maybe you have not done those things, but you, there's something you have done too. Before they metastasize, before they get worse, before they get out totally out of control, why don't you come this morning and let's pray. Let's get before God. Let's humble our hearts. You know, dear one, I guess the greater majority of the people here got saved out of churches. They were already church members. But they were committing sin. And they woke up and realized they cannot be a sinner and saint at the same time. So they repented and got saved. I remember one night, years ago, I was standing in a meeting and one of the ministers saw conviction all over me. Say, young man, don't you want to be saved? I said, I'm already a Christian. I joined church, you know. I was so deeply under conviction. Doing what I wanted to do just as sinful. But I was hiding behind the idea that I belonged to church already. But God knew that I wanted to be saved, so he had mercy upon me. And let me know that belonging to church meant nothing but a seemingly respectable way to go to hell. So I repented of my sins. I deal with the said issue. That's what you must do this morning if you desire to be with Jesus in eternity.